Tell you what, I looked at the weather forecast yesterday morning. It looked like rain more the majority of the day. Driving today, the sun's out. It's just gorgeous. So, you know, I just, uh, Brandon's right. Being a weatherman, a weather person is the best job in the world because you can be wrong 90% of the time. But anyways, it's a little, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So glad to see each and every one of you here with us today. And um, God is good. And, and he's faithful, isn't he? He's so good. Um, we, we've been, we're in a series looking at uh, the Ten Commandments. And I know sometimes when you think of the Ten Commandments, I think we, we, we look at it as a list of just do's and don'ts, what I'm not supposed to do. We, I think sometimes we, we get a wrong picture of, of the God of the Old Testament. And I've said this before, we kind of look at the God of the Old Testament as the, as the grumpy person in their front lawn waiting for someone to throw a ball in their yard and to steal the ball and say, don't walk on my grass. And then we look at the New Testament, we see, you know, Jesus, you know, love and grace and, and mercy. I, I want you to know that our God is a merciful God, that he's a loving God, that he's a compassionate God, that he's a holy God, that he's a just God. And I want you to look at the Ten Commandments a little bit differently. I want to dig into them to look at how God actually gives the commandments to us and to his people, Israel, his chosen people, Israel, to actually set them free, not to constrict them, not to cause them to walk in bondage. I, I want you to look at it this way. It's, it's a clear picture of what Israel was and who they are to become when they go into the desert. God sees them in slavery in Egypt and in bondage to an oppressor. And God says, that is not what I have for you. That is not my purpose for you. I am your deliverer. I'm going to set you free. And I'm going to cause you to live a life in freedom. So I want you to look at our relationship with God. It's not one that constricts us, but one that actually sets us free to live the life that God desires us to live. And that's what the commandments are all about. It's all about relationships. It's our relationship with God and how we establish that correctly. And it's about our relationship with one another. If we just got this correctly, we wouldn't have much issues with our relationship with God and our relationship with, with one another. The problem is the biggest obstacle in us knowing God and growing in our relationship with God and also growing in our relationships with one another is us. It's our own hearts. How many can just say amen to this, that our hearts can tend to be stubborn at times? Are we, are we stubborn? Can, is it hard to move us sometimes? And, and what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the second commandment, how God uh, tells his children, Israel, not to turn to idols or to worthless things to look for their worth and their significance. The thing that has to be paramount and the thing that has to be first and foremost in our hearts and our lives is God. And when we do that, we can live in freedom. And so God is, is, is very pointed in how he does not want them to look at other things to try to find their significance and their worth. He doesn't want them to look at functional saviors. And listen, if you think that the Ten Commandments are old and something that happened thousands of years ago and it's like it doesn't relate to you and I here today, we couldn't be more wrong. And I believe every single one of us, we set up idols in our hearts. It may not be a golden calf, but we do set up idols in our hearts and we look at things 
to find our happiness and our significance. And what God wants to do is he wants to remove those things that have been embedded in our hearts that we have set up in our hearts to try to make us feel happy. And he's saying, listen, I want to remove those things and give you something so much better. And I want to give you myself. And I want to give you my son, Jesus, who will give you significance and purpose that nothing in this world could ever give you. So I want to jump into that first commandment, and and I want us to understand first and foremost, the commandments are an avenue that allows us to enjoy our relationship with God and others. Just remember that, that that it's it's an avenue that allows us to enjoy our relationship with God and others, and it shows us our need for Christ. So what's the background here of the commandments? Let me give you this as we jump into Exodus chapter 20 this morning. Um, The background is God has delivered you know, the Israelites out of Egypt, and now they're in the desert. They're at Mount Sinai, and, and Moses goes up the mountain and receives these tablets from God and how God wants to relate to Israel and how they are to relate to one another. So what God is doing is he's establishing his relationship with Israel by telling them, I am God, you are not, this is how you are to approach me, but I want you to know that I love you. And God always speaks covenantal language to us where he always binds himself to us that he loves us and he wants to do the best for us but we have to allow to submit to his will in order to receive the blessings that god desires to give to us and once again it's our heart that tends to always get in the way of receiving what god always has for us. So today I want to look at this command and, and, and the second command. And so here God has, has given this and they're to speak this to the Israelites as they're in the desert as God is establishing his relationship with them. So I want to look at verses four and six today. And here's what God says. He says, you must not make for yourselves an idol of any kind or image or anything in heaven or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Look at the mercy of God here. He says, but I lavish unfamily love for a thousand generations upon a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. This is the word of the Lord. Can we say amen to the word of the Lord this morning? So what's going on in, in, in the background of this command? What's going on? Well, this commandment is all about what fights to gain control of our hearts. God knows us better than anyone else. He knows the proclivity of our heart. He knows the proclivity of our heart is to take care of ourselves. He knows that we will thirst and hunger after these idols, these things that we think are going to satisfy us. We think that we may think that idolatry is bowing down to a statue or idolizing some athlete or celebrity, but I want you to understand this morning that idolatry always starts with our hearts. And I want you to listen to Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. And here God is speaking um, to, uh, to Ezekiel the prophet about the leadership in Israel. And listen to how God describes the leadership. He says, son of man, describing this to Ezekiel, he says, these leaders have set up idols. Notice what he says there. Where do they set the idols up? What does it say? In their hearts, doesn't it? 
He's not saying they set up an idol on their counter or they've got this shrine set up in their hearts. He goes, no, the idol starts in their hearts. They've set this up in their hearts and God wants to remove that out of their hearts. He says, they have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. And why should I listen to their request? I love the way Tim Keller just defines idol, idol worship, or just idolatry. He says, idolatry is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. It's taking a good thing. Sometimes we think, well, idol worship is something bad. It's, it's a bad habitual sin that's an idol in my life and it's a bad thing. But I want you to understand that it can, it can be a good thing too. How many have ever read the books or watched the series, the trilogy, the movies, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings? How many, how many have seen that? Okay, four of you. Okay, I'm going to skip this illustration because it's just not going to relate to anybody. But if you've seen it, incredible story. And it's about this ring, this, this golden ring. And anyone, I've got my little gold wedding ring here, 31 years of marriage, praise God. Um, so here's my, yeah, and pray for Kathleen. But here's, here's so here's this, and, and anyone, what's interesting about this, anyone that possessed the, the golden ring, it actually possessed them. And, and they would do anything for it. Those who wore it were under the power of it and became uh, enslaved to it. It became something that they couldn't live without. It became all-encompassing in their life. And if you remember Schmeagel, he'd always, he would call the ring what? Precious. Remember? Precious. You know, it's just <laughs> creepy, right? That's pretty good invitation, right? I mean, so it, it just, it be, and they would kill for it. They would do whatever. And, and this became what they live for. I want you to see that everything about the second commandment is exactly that. It's, it's exactly that. It, an idol becomes something that we can't bear to live without. So we can do things that can harm others or even harm ourselves when those idols become embedded in our heart. And listen, we, we, we do it all the time if we're just honest with ourselves. We, we can take our success the things we have, even our children, which are all good things, and what can we tend to do with them? We can tend to make them ultimate things. And what it does is we try to make those things the source of our happiness. So if my kids succeed, or if I do well at my job, or if I do well here, um, this is the thing that's going to bring me happiness, and this is how a good thing can become an ultimate thing in our lives, because those things can never ultimately deliver what they promise. Our hearts can make them the center of our lives. Our hearts are just an idol factory. I, I, and I've heard that. I don't know who said that quote, but I, it's so true. Our hearts are just an idol factory. And if we're not careful um, in guarding our hearts, we're going to make these things the center of our lives. So we lie, lie to ourselves thinking that, you know, if I can only achieve this, then I'll have meaning in my life and I will have purpose in my life. Um, Kathleen, I watched a documentary not too long ago about Ryan Lochte. He was an Olympic swimmer, one of the most decorated Olympic swimmers besides Michael Phelps, 36 years old, and wanted to have a comeback at 36 to go back in the Olympics. Now, 36 as a swimmer is ancient. You just, you don't do it at 36. It's for the younger, younger people, right? And so he, watching the documentary, the reason why he wanted this comeback, and he still did well. I mean, he he, he didn't make the Olympic team, but he still was top six in one of his events, and that, that's pretty incredible within itself. But it was interesting, as Kathleen and I watched the documentary, it's, it's interesting the reason why he did it. 
the reason why he did it. And that's what I was interested in. Why would someone who's one of the most decorated swimmers in history, besides Michael Phelps, um, why would he, what, what would he have to prove? What would he, he already has gold medals, world records. What would he have to prove? And this is what he said. Because he got in trouble in the Rio Olympics, the Olympics before, and he says, I feel like I need to redeem myself. I feel like I need to do this to prove to myself that I don't want that to be the thing that marks me. So if I can just make the Olympic team, and if I, and if I can get to Japan, then it will kind of redeem myself. And, and see, we, we, we all do this. We look for things to give us significance and value. See, trying to make the Olympic team is not, is not a bad thing in itself. But it shouldn't be the thing that makes us feel significant or the thing that, that gives us redemption. You see, wanting our kids to do well in school or sports is not a bad thing. Where it goes wrong is, is when we go overboard to make those pursuits our ultimate goal. I, I love the story of, of Eric uh, Liddell, if you remember uh, the movie Chariots of Fire. How many of you have seen the Chariots of Fire? Okay, good. More of you than watch the Lord of the... Okay, that's good. So I, I could see the generational gap right there. It's like no young kids, no young people raise their hands for, for Chariots of Fire. Great movie. And it's a story about a Christian runner, sprint runner. He ran the 100 and the 400 in the 1924 Olympic Games. And I love the story of, of Eric Liddell because one of his events in, in the 100 meters, was his prelim events, was on uh, Sunday. And he wouldn't run because he refused to run on Sunday. That was, his, that was his conviction. And he says, when I run fast, I feel like I'm pleasing God. Like everything was, was Jesus-centered in his life. But it's interesting, if you compare Eric Liddell's life to another one of his uh, teammates who was, who was uh, picked to win also the 100-meter dash, it's interesting when you look at their two lives because his competitor, he said, I have 10 seconds to prove myself. 10 seconds in a 100-meter dash to prove who I am. Where Eric Liddell said, no, no, that, that's not who I am. I, I can choose to refuse to run on Sunday because I do it for the glory of God. See, winning, and he ended up winning the 400 um, meter anyways and getting the gold medal. But see, his, his mindset was different. The, the significance of getting the gold medal didn't prove who he was or who he was in God. No medals, no amount of achievements can ever do that for us. You see, those that cheat in sports through doping did so because of this reason. They wanted to be the best, they wanted to have an edge over everyone else. And if you listen to those that have cheated in sports or have doped in sports or used performance-enhancing drugs to, to get an edge up on everyone else, you, you, when you listen to their story, they wanted to be the best because their ultimate goal was happiness. They thought by being the best, this would bring them happiness. So by whatever means they would choose, they would choose doing things that were wrong, thinking that this would ultimately bring them happiness. See, once again, it's not wrong to do well or to excel. It's when we use those things as our ultimate gauge for our significance and our happiness. You see, this is the core of what God is talking about. He's, he's, he's not saying, listen, um, just don't bow down to idols or the golden calf. It's so much more than that. God is saying, I want your heart. I know that you are going to look for things in this world to bring you significance and happiness, but they will not ultimately deliver what they promise. Listen to what Tim Keller says 
in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he says this such a good understanding of what a counterfeit God is and what idols are. Just listen to what he says. He says, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that if you should lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotion, your financial resources on it without giving it a second thought. It can be family, children, or career, or making money, or achievement, or critical acclaim, or saving face and and, uh, social standing. It could be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty, your brains, great political or social cause, your mor- morality and virtue, even success in Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is so fixed so- on someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but in reality, it's idolatry. An idol is whatever you look to and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I feel my life has meaning and then I feel significant and secure. You see, trying to find significance in these things or all this stuff removes God from the center of our heart. And God says, I want to be the center of your heart because I'm the only one that can truly give you significance. And all these other pursuits, if you're looking at that to bring you the ultimate happiness and security in your life, you're going to come up empty every single time. Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever been stubborn over something? Have you, have you ever had an idea in your, in your head and you had maybe a disagreement with your spouse or someone else and you just thought you were right and you were going to die in, in knowing that you were right? You're willing to die for that and, you just, and you're, you're stubborn over it. Maybe... Maybe you're just a stubborn person. Maybe, maybe you're just a stubborn person. Maybe you live with a stubborn person. How many of you live with a stubborn person? No, I'm just teasing. Boy, you raised your hands way too quick on that one. I'm just, don't do that. Um, listen, it's, have you ever, I, I used, I hated the game tug of war when we played that in elementary school or high school. Remember tug of war and you're both pulling. It feels like your team's doing really well and you feel like you get this way and all of a sudden you go back and you go back, forth, back, forth and it's just this struggle to try to win this tug of war and that's, that, that's stubbornness. It's just this tug of war of trying to convince someone of our way or we cannot be moved. How many of you have ever raised stubborn kids? You're just like, you're trying to talk to them and they're just like, they do not see your point of view. Look at everybody's high five and yeah, that's us. We have a therapy group after church on how to, what it's like to raise stubborn kids, right? And, and, and sometimes, you know, children just want to be stubborn to be stubborn. Or sometimes we just want to be stubborn to be stubborn because we, we want our way. We want to be correct. Um, we're not going to be budged. And see, this is the, this is the core of the problem with, with idolatry and looking to ourselves or looking to things to find happiness is that the only one that can ever break our heart is, is, is God. And there's so many things in my heart that can happen in daily situations that can cause me just to be stubborn. We were, last week we were enjoying uh, just a week away in the Adirondacks. We go up there every, every year. And by the way, I caught the most fish and I caught the biggest fish during the week. So I just want to let you know that. Just, just uh, bragging rights for another year. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, the fishing was terrible though. But anyways, we had fun. It rained the whole week. But we had a great time. It was fun. Uh, learned to play pickleball. That was really fun. I, I have no feeling in my legs right now, but that was fun. 
Um, so I, we were there, and um, we go to the same place every year. For about the last 15 years, we've gone to the same place. And we're, there's this huge beach area along uh, Fourth Lake, beautiful beach area, huge. And we're there, and we're laying on the beach, and um, some guy comes up to us. And we're like, this guy's really friendly. He goes, hey, you know, are you guys new homeowners? And we're like, no, we're, we're, we're runners. He goes, oh, 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 I just want to let you know. Now, this guy knew full well we were not owners. I just, I think he was trying to get the, get the conversation going. And he says, oh, by the way, this, there's, we didn't realize it, but they made a new rule this year that one side was for renters and the other side was for residential people. So we didn't see the huge sign right there because we'd always sit on that side of the beach. And we didn't know, so we're right at the line. So we're right at the line, and the guy's like, well, you know, this is for the residential people. So we're like, oh, okay, well, we didn't know. We've been coming for years. And the guy, the guy was pretty nice. Well, you can stay there. Well, I'm looking down the residential beach 150 feet. Not one person there. <laughs> Not one. And we're right at the line. Right here at the line. Now, my stubborn heart said, oh, yeah? I got a strong wife, and I think she can take you, okay? I'm not moving. I'm digging my feet in the sand here. I'm making a stand because there's no one else here. No, we, we did it. We, we moved. But have you ever got just your heart, you just, that idol of, like, self-righteousness, and I want to be right, and I'm going to make a point here by not moving over to the rental side. To make matters worse, they had these little plastic Adirondack chairs. The residential side had brown ones, and the rental had green ones. God forbid you would take a brown. Same chairs, by the way, over to the other side, the green, because Lily tried, and one lady let her know, excuse me, brown chairs at the residential side. I was about to lose my mind. I, there's going to be a fight br- breaking out on the beach right that, that day. I just, but you know what it does? <laughs> you know what it does? It just reveals the stubbornness of our hearts sometimes, doesn't it? You know, and then I got up and I'm like, where's the sign? I'm like, oh, okay, there's the huge sign that says residential only, right? See, the, the issue with, 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 with us and with our, with our hearts and, and the only thing that can truly break our hearts is, is what breaks my stubbornness. My stubbornness is broken when my heart is broken. And see, what, what God wanted more than anything else is not just to give Israel these bunch of rules and say, okay, follow them. Because how I many know we can be rule keepers and we can follow all the rules, but we don't care. We're just doing it because we're supposed to do it. Okay, I'll go to the, you know, the, the rental side beach and I'll say, right? And, but, but I have an attitude because when I was moving all my stuff over, right? Looking at the guy going, okay, I just took three steps. You happy now? No, I'm not, that's, I mean, th- that's my heart, right? <laughs> that's my heart. It's wrong. Don't laugh. It's wrong. You're encouraging me. Stop it. God broke my heart. I was weeping and repenting later, okay? It was wrong. You see, you see wh- what the thing that, that God wanted Israel to know is, is, is listen, unless I have your heart, the things that I give to you are going to be meaningless. But I want you to realize, if I have your heart, then you're going to want to obey 
me and my word because I love you and I, I want the best for you. So how do we break the idols in our lives? How do we break the idols in our lives? Well, let, me, let me just finish with the story because this is a great story about idol worship, the story of Jonah. I mean, you know the story of Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by a large fish, right? It's a short, if you want to sit down and read you know, the, the book of Jonah, take it 20 minutes to read through the chapters of Jonah. Very, very quick read. But here's the thing about Jonah. Jonah was called by God to go to the city of Nineveh, right, to preach repentance to this city that was engrossed in sin, and God wanted them to repent and turn to him. And so God calls Jonah, but, but Jonah is this reluctant missionary who doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go. So what he does is he gets in a ship, and he goes the opposite direction of Nineveh. And so while he's in this ship, remember the story, great storm happens, right? And Jonah's just chill. He's chill in the boat. He's, like, not worried. He's like... And everybody's freaking out except for, for Jonah. And Jonah's like, yeah, I know why. God's mad. He's mad at me. I, I, I know. He goes, if you just throw me overboard, um, the storm's going to stop. And they're like, what? Are you kidding me? Okay. They throw him overboard. Sure enough, storm stops. And then what happens to Jonah? Jonah gets swallowed by this great fish. And he's inside the fish. And, and Scripture records for us what Jonah was going through when he was in the fish, the, the, the great fish. And it was in the water that God saved Jonah by sending this, this large fish, which allowed Jonah to repent. And I, I want you to hear Jonah praying in the, in the belly of the fish because it has to do with idol worship. I, Jonah had this idol lodged in his heart. And it was an idol of self-righteousness. He thought he was better than Nineveh. He thought God should just judge them. So he, he put himself in a position of saying, I'm better than them. They deserve what they're getting. I don't want to go there. God, just judge them. And God wanted to teach Jonah something. Listen to the, let me read just a couple of verses in chapter one and, and chapter two here. Chapter one, verse 17, it says, so, well, he's in the fish. It says, now the Lord arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And listen to Jonah's prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. And he answered me, I called you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. So he's crying out to God. He, he turns his heart to the Lord. And then chapter 2, verse 4, he says, it says, Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. So he's looking to God. He's worshiping God. He, he realizes that his attitude was wrong. And then listen to what he says later in chapter 2. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. What's interesting about this is what it says in verse Eight. Notice what Jonah says in verse 8. He says, those who cling to worthless idols, those that look to these gods to give them significance will miss the love of God. They will miss the love of God for them. God was trying to remove this idol of self-righteousness uh, out of Jonah's heart to give him the love of God for people who didn't deserve it. There was an idol there that kept him from being compassionate for other people. See, the word love here is God's covenantal love, God's mercy, his grace, and his redemption. God cared about 
the people of Nineveh and their animals, it says. He cared about their pet dogs. He cared about the animals. And if you read the scripture, you see, Jonah's idol of self-righteousness is brought to light in his prayer and realizes that God's love and grace are for everyone. That God's love and grace are for everyone. Jonah understood this. Now, here's the thing. If you read the whole story, Jonah understood this in his head, but did it change his heart? That's the issue. See, the short answer is no. At the end of the book, the people of Nineveh repent, which is great. You'd be like, man, Jonah, you preached. He goes, okay, I'm going to go. Everybody, you're going to die if you don't repent. And God's judgment, fire and brimstone are going to fall upon all you. Okay, I'm out. See ya. Jonah's out. And everybody repents. And they, and they turn. And you, you would think Jonah would be just like, this is great. But no, he was, he was like, had a pity party. And, and he was like mad at God. And he wanted judgment, and he's like upset with God that he didn't do the right thing. You see, self-righteousness was so lodged in his heart, he couldn't see the compassion of God. You see, idols can be bitterness. It can be unforgiveness. And when they get so lodged in our heart, we miss the love of God. We miss the grace of God. We miss God's heart. See, Jonah's idol of self-righteousness was so embedded in his heart that he could not see the compassion of God. And so what God says, I love what God says to Jonah at the, at the end of the book. He says, he says to Jonah, should I not care about this city? Should I not care? He poses that question, should I not care? And God is telling Jonah, shouldn't you care too? Shouldn't you care you see, the only way that we can break the idols in our hearts, we have to remove what's there, what we have set up, and it's got to be replaced by something else. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus. And what, and what God does for us, he says, I want to give you this gift of my son, and he's going to do everything for you that you can't do for yourself. He's going to die for your sins He's going to die for your selfishness. He's going to die for your stubbornness. All those things that we look to to try to make ourselves feel significant. He's going to die to all that stuff for you. And he's going to give you a brand new life. You see, Jesus breaks the idols in our lives by actually giving us himself. By allowing Jesus to be preeminent in our heart and our lives, those idols begin to be broken in our hearts. So the idol of unforgiveness or self-righteousness is broken when I look to Christ because Jesus gave everything for me. He hung naked on a cross. He, he came to serve us and not be served. He didn't come with an entitled attitude saying, you need to serve me, I'm, I'm the son of God. But he came and he served the least of these. And in order to break the selfishness and the stubbornness in our heart, we needed to be replaced with the son of God. And when Jesus comes into our hearts and our lives, it's not, oh, this another religion, another thing I have to follow, more rules I ha have to obey. When Christ comes into your heart, he changes your heart and gives you a different perspective. So here's what happens. When you have that relationship with Jesus and you understand his love and his compassion and what he did for you on the cross, what it causes us to do is to have a grateful heart and a thankful heart and then we look to Christ by saying, I want to serve you because I get to. Not because I have to, but out of gratitude and thankfulness, I want to serve you. 
And that's a special relationship that we have with Jesus. That he doesn't browbeat us. He doesn't get us into a headlock. He, he doesn't drag us along. So he, he says, listen, you can do what you want. But when you serve me with all your heart, that's where the blessings come. When you serve me with all your heart, that's where your significance and your purpose comes. That's why I came, to change your perspective. Let me just finish with this verse in Colossians. Paul's speaking to the church in Colossae. And listen to, and listen to the words. I, I love this. And he encourages the church with these words by saying, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor and at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. You died to this life. And your real life is now hidden in who? In Christ Jesus. In Christ in God. With Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Isn't that good news? I love that. And so this is what Paul encourages his listeners to do. He says, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. I like that translation, lurking within you. We got those things in our heart that can so easily lurk within us if we're not careful. So he says, put those things to death. Put those idols to death. Put those things that you think are going to give you significance. Put those things to death. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, or evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is what? An idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. Here's, here's, here's the antidote to all of this. We have to be worshipers of Christ. That's what breaks the idols in our hearts that we can easily set up is by worshiping Christ. See, all worship is is giving worth-ship to something. And so we all worship something, right? We all give value to something that we think is going to give us significance. But when we worship Christ and he's first and foremost in our life, then all those other things that are lodged in our heart, that are embedded in our heart, that ought not be there, all of a sudden they get removed as we worship Christ and we honor him in our life and we follow him and we worship him. And all of a sudden, the joy that we're looking for, the significance that we're looking for is found in Christ. And that's why he desires to have a relationship with you every day. So as we close, my question to you today as we just pray is what thing or people are you looking towards to give you validation in your life? Is there something in your life? Are you looking to things or people to give you validation in your life? Just ask yourself that question. What are the things that you think about? What are the things that are bothering you? And it just might be that we've set up this idol in our heart that God wants to remove. And he wants to, in that place, put his son in our hearts, in our lives, so that we don't look to pseudo functional saviors to try to deliver us. And so that's the relationship that God desires to have with us. That's the relationship that God desired to have with Israel. He goes, don't put anything else in my place because you will never find your happiness there. You will only find it when you find me. And so just what are you seeking today? What treasure are you seeking today? And my prayer for you is that you would seek the Lord with all your heart. Because when you do that, you will find him.
And he's just waiting for you to give you all the things that you've been looking for in your life. Does that mean our lives are going to be perfect? Everybody says, no way. But it does mean that we have a joy that nothing in this world could ever give us. And that joy is in Christ. And I love what Paul says at the end there because one day we are going to share in the glories of Jesus Christ. That we are co-heirs with Christ. And one day we will be with him. That's good news. So Father God, we, um, we bow our hearts before you today. And, and Lord, we just pray that if there's anything that we have set up in our hearts, things that we're looking to to give us significance, Lord, I pray that you would break our stubborn hearts in areas that maybe we have wrong thinking in. And that Jesus, you would fill us with your spirit. That you would fill us with your compassion that you would fill us with compassion for the world, just as God wanted to show Jonah that he cared about that city and that he should too, and that he needed to remove the the idol of self-righteousness and showing him that I have compassion for people. And so, God, I just pray that whatever we're battling with today in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would come to you and realize, Jesus, you receive us just as we are. You're not expecting us to perform for you or to be perfect. You say, come as you are and let me do the work that I need to do in your heart. And so, God, we come to you with all our, short, we all have them, all our shortcomings, all our failures, and we lay them at your feet. And we pray that Jesus would replace all those things and that he would be the primary and the focal point of our lives as we worship him and thank him for everything that he has done for us. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.